Good morning from the Financial Times. Today is Monday, October 30th, and this is your FT News Briefing. Israel expanded its ground offensive in Gaza over the weekend, and just seven American tech stocks are driving global indexes higher. Plus, you might not think about rice other than when you're heaping some on your plate, but we're entering a global rice crisis, and it's affecting a lot of people. So we're talking about around half the world's population, so that's three and a half billion people, particularly in Asia, but also Latin America and West Africa. I'm Mark Filipino, and here's the news you need to start your day. Israel has entered the second stage of its war with Hamas. That's what Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu said over the weekend. A spokesperson for the Israel Defense Forces said on Sunday that combat operations were continuing in the north of the Gaza Strip. Some had expected a full-scale invasion of Gaza, but officials say the more gradual buildup is to try and reduce the likelihood that the Iranian-backed militant group Hezbollah will get involved. The Hamas-controlled health ministry said the death toll in Gaza has risen to more than 8,000 Palestinians since the start of the Israeli offensive. Israel has been bombarding Gaza since Hamas attacked the country on October 7th and killed more than 1,400 people. We're in the middle of earnings season, and once again, U.S. tech companies are showing just how strong they are. In fact, just a handful of tech giants have driven all of the gains in global stocks this year. They're called the Magnificent Seven, and they consist of Apple, Microsoft, Alphabet, Meta, Amazon, NVIDIA, and Tesla. Without those companies, MSCI's all-country world index would have declined over the past year. Which raises the question, are indexes really the best way to get a read on the stock market and the broader economy? Here to talk about this is the FT's Nick McGaw. He covers U.S. capital markets. Hey, Nick. Hey. So why are these seven companies having such a huge impact on global stocks? So there are two sides to it. The first is why these companies have done well. One of the big drivers of the Magnificent Seven strength this year has been excitement about artificial intelligence which all seven have a link to in various degrees, whether that is making chips that power it, like NVIDIA, or being a big investor in the company behind ChatGBT, like Microsoft. And then the reason it's impacted markets so much is because, one, they were already very massive. So there's just a kind of mathematical impact of a bigger company moving has more of an impact on the wider index than a small company moving. But also the broader environment for other stocks has been kind of tough this year. Like the economic outlook is uncertain. Interest rates have been going up. And although the US economy especially has been pretty strong, there's been a lot of uncertainty about how long that will last. And so it's been harder to make the argument for other companies. Nick, what does this say about how investors see US stocks versus how they see stocks in other countries? So... It's been a key part of, although not the only part of, this broader trend that's been happening pretty much since the 2008 financial crisis of more and more of the global stock market is just being dominated by the US. There are some technical reasons that help it. Like people are more inclined to invest in their home market and most stock market investors are in the US. 
But it's also just part of this broader view that US companies and the US economy have just been consistently better performing than alternatives like Europe. Since this small number of companies has the power to skew indexes so much, why do we even use them as a way to measure global stocks? I mean, is that even a good idea? I mean, it depends what you're looking for. Is the MSCI All World the best way to get an understanding of like the state of the global economy? Or should you use the S&P 500 to understand the state of the U.S. economy? Probably not. You know, there's loads of people who work for small and mid-sized companies that are not publicly listed at all, never mind in the top indexes. But if you want a snapshot of the financial markets, this is the reality of them right now. They are dominated by a few massive companies. And so it's important to look at that. There are alternatives like you can look at an equal weighted version of the indexes to get a better sense of how the rest of the market is performing. But that doesn't mean you should ignore the main ones. Nick McGaw covers U.S. capital markets for the FT. Thanks, Nick. Thanks. The cost of rice is up. Actually, it's way up. It's up in Nigeria, it's up in Vietnam, and it's up in Thailand. And that's having a massive impact on people who rely on rice. Susanna Savage has been looking into the issue. She covers commodities for the FT. Hi, Susanna. Hi, Mark. So tell me, what's behind the increase in the price of rice? So the biggest catalyst of this is India, which is the world's largest exporter of rice, has put a ban on exports of certain types of rice and tariffs on other types. Now, the reason they've done this is because Narendra Modi, the Prime Minister of India, he's facing a series of elections this year and next year. And in India, food prices are a real hot-button issue. So he's really trying to bring down domestic prices of rice in order to win over voters, essentially. So it's really politically motivated. But price increases also reflect worries about supplies as climate change has a big impact on rice yields. And this year, that's particularly significant because of the El Nino weather phenomenon, which is associated with heat and drought across the Pacific Ocean, which has a big impact on rice growing areas across Asia. And so we're seeing growing conditions that may be too dry next year, and that will have a big impact on yields. And just how big of an issue is this, Susanna? I mean, how many people rely on it for food? So we're talking about around half the world's population. So that's three and a half billion people, particularly in Asia, but also Latin America and West Africa. And West African countries are especially impacted by India's ban because they rely very heavily on imports. There we've seen prices really fluctuate and and rise. Susanna, has this happened before? I mean, I can't imagine that this would be the first time that we've dealt with a problem in the rice supply. No, it's definitely not the first time. For a lot of experts working on this, there are elements of deja vu. We had a big rice crisis in 2007-2008, when again India imposed an export ban, and this was followed by other big rice-producing countries. And this had a big impact, driving up inflation and sparking eventually civil unrest in parts of the world, including North Africa and, and the Caribbean. But at that time, Really, there was no shortage of supply. The the shortage was created by these export bans. And therefore, it was resolved when countries like Japan, Thailand, Vietnam committed to boosting imports. Whereas this time, there actually are worries about the supply of rice because of worries about production. 
So I guess I'm curious, Susanna, would the lessons learned from the 2008 rice crisis apply here? In part, yes, because if India were to remove the ban on exports, that would have a big impact on prices. But in another sense, no, because we're seeing increasingly climate change is creating problems with yields. And so we're seeing more and more governments are going to be put under pressure as a result of climate change. And increasingly, there are fears that they're going to choose protectionist policies like the ban imposed by India, which has an impact on other parts of the world, for example, in this case, West Africa. And as we saw in 2007, 2008, when food prices rise and people are hungry, they take to the streets in protest. And that's a big political problem for governments. Susanna Savage is the FT's commodities correspondent. Thanks, Susanna. Thanks very much. Before we go, cognac doesn't seem to have the same je ne sais quoi for American consumers anymore. The French spirits maker Remy Contreau is predicting its sales will fall by a fifth this year because U.S. consumers are shunning cognac. An analyst told the FT that Remy's lackluster sales are raising questions about whether the U.S. economy is really as strong as it seems. Since alcohol is usually recession-resilient, it could be a canary in the coal mine. You can read more on all of these stories at ft.com for free when you click the links in our show notes. This has been your daily FT News Briefing. Make sure you check back tomorrow for the latest business news. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's Coriant.com. Hi, this is Matt and Sean from Two Black Guys with good credit from a local business to a global corporation. Partnering with Bank of America gives your operation access to exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful, you'll make every move matter. Visit bankofamerica.com slash banking for business to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America, N.A., copyright 2024.